coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. We are there because much like Israel, America has skin in the game too. And you know, it made me wonder why people hate the Jewish community so much. What we saw in Israel on that one day was the worst attack against Jewish civilians since the Holocaust. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you this morning with one simple prayer. God bless and protect Israel, and God bless and protect America. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, just... Uh... We lift up um, the Middle East and Israel and what they're going through. We ask that uh, the hostages be rescued and be safe, that the killing uh, be stopped if we, if possible. It's tough to deal with evil in the world when they embed themselves in innocent people. Lord, we lift up Ukraine, which has been going through a fight for over a year and fighting evil as well. So uh, thank you for America's strength. Thank you for Americans and uh, the strength of our country, the strength of our military, the strength of our people, that we can help out neighbors as they get brutally attacked by other neighbors. Amen. Bill, I attended an event early this week called Greensboro Solidarity with Israel's Service. Greensboro Solidarity with Israel Service. And on the pamphlet at the synagogue, it says, Response to War in Israel. It says, Dear Beth David community, as we awaken on Sabbath morning, we learned of the war declared in Israel and the horrific attack on civilians. We are deeply saddened by the profound loss of life and we condemned the brutal attacks and ongoing terror. Members of our community have family and close friends in Israel, and our heart goes out to them during this horrific time. This is a situation of war, which is unprecedented. In recent decades of Israel history, it is crucial that we come together in this time and send our solidarity and support as well as with each as we support each other 
Please join us at Temple Emmanuel tomorrow evening as we come together as a Greensboro Jewish community for communal reflection and prayer together. So, Bill, when I when I heard that, I went to the service and you went to the service. What do you think about the service? And later on, we have a special guest, Rabbi Andy, coming in to share some of his thoughts. But what was your thoughts, sir, about everything going on in Israel? That service, uh, you know, there's been a lot of discord in Israel. There's been a lot of discord in America. There's been a lot of discord in the local Republican Party here in Greensboro. But what I felt in that room was not discord, but was unity. Unity for human beings that were viciously attacked, some of them while they were celebrating life, some of them while they were having their morning coffee. Some of them were infants that were in cribs that were brutally burnt and murdered. Just the viciousness of it. And, you know, it made me wonder why people hate the Jewish community so much. You know, we've had bomb threats here in our local synagogue and our temples, and you have to have extra security. I was talking to Annie Zimmerman this morning, who, by the way, is going to contribute to my campaign, he said. But uh, Andy said that he was approached by a group of folks that want to increase the security around the temple and the synagogue. And, you know, that's a place of worship. That's not a military installation. There's no guns in there. There's no bombs in there. All there are people that go there. You know what they do? They pray. Mm. And you want to kill them. I don't get it. I don't get it. But I'll tell you one thing it does. It makes me sure want to keep firearms in the house. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, those poor people. I don't know if they had a chance with all the militants, but they had some guns and stuff to protect themselves. You know, when you live that close to the Gaza, and when we were in Israel, we, closest we got was probably Masada, you know, or the Dead Sea, which is still maybe an hour away. Right. And uh, But they lived, you know, uh, some of those kibbutzes were half a mile. Right. Which is nothing. I right. mean, and so when you live that close to an enemy, I, I know they had a tremendous confidence in the security system that he had with the wall and everything. But my goodness, you would want to be armed with not only automatic weapons, but maybe grenade launchers and other things if somebody came over. But they were outgunned, outmanned. I had heard that the kibbutz did have security force, ex-military people that lived in the kibbutz that would patrol at night. And they tried to defend the kibbutz, but they were so far outnumbered. Right. And overwhelmed that they couldn't do it. So this was a well-planned attack. You know, there were many, many places that had been opened up on the fence. And, you know, they had hang gliders. I mean, guys with mobile hang gliders and motorcycles. And, and then they commandeered cars. I guess they tried to come in by boat, but those got torn up by the military. So this is a well-coordinated effect. And, you know, I don't know what their objective was, was to just kill or to kidnap. I don't know. And the other thing is, where did they get the funding for this? I mean, right. the, you know, Gaza is a very poor community. So did the people, local people in Gaza, where there's 3 million people condensed in a small area? Well, probably came from Iran and probably been funded by Iran and probably been trained. I mean, these folks were trained. They they weren't just, you know, local citizens that picked up a gun and said, hey, let's go through the fence and see what happens. Right. 
I mean, right. this was a military operation. So what do you do with Iran with this? You know, so right now, I think the air campaign is going on. And I think they're, they're setting up the ground force 300,000 people to go and do a ground attack, which is going to be very, very difficult and costly on all sides. So I think right now they're in the planning stage. Where are the hostages? How do we get them? How do we do a rescue mission? Where's the Hamas people? I suspect the Hamas people are like rats living in those bunkers underground in the tunnels and letting the poor people that they've controlled. I heard, and I don't know if it's true or not, but the reports are that they're using mosque schools that the United Nations built to hide weapons, mm-hmm. hide, hide fighters. They're using the university to train people how to make weapons and make bombs. I don't know if that's true or not. That's been reported. But for them to have a sophisticated uh, attack, coordinated attack with 3,000 missiles, you know, it's interesting. I I heard a report that in north of Israel where the uh, Syrians are and Iran is, and there's 150,000 missiles pointed toward Israel. Uh I don't care what kind of Iron Dome you have. You better have a really... I mean, that means you got to have 150,000 rockets to knock down those missiles. That's a lot. Well, you know, Bill, one of the things, uh, like you, you've been to Israel. I've been to Israel on four different occasions over the last 10 to 12 years. And one of the things when we first went there was the time when buses, the bus stop, you know, blew up and people got killed. And people say, well, they'll... Why would you go to Israel? They're always fighting over there. It's not that simple. But just a couple of terms you used that I want to kind of clarify or define for our listening audience. You use the term a kibbutz. And let me just explain to everyone what a kibbutz is and what it's not. A kibbutz is a communal settlement in Israel in which all wealth is held in common and profits are reinvested in the settlement. I remember when I first went to a kibbutz, 10, 12 years ago, and it's just a different way of settling the land, settling the territory for people to live. You talked about Hamas. Hamas has been the de facto government body in the Gaza Strip since 2007, when it ousted the Palestinian authorities from power. And Hamas is a militant group in Palestine territories, but also is one of two major political parties. So uh, Hamas is a militant group, but it's also a political party, like you have the Republicans and the Democrats. So they rule from a political perspective and a perspective of terror. Now, we talked about the Gaza Strip. Now, the Gaza Strip is like a little Palestinian enclave on the East Coast, you know, like the Mediterranean Sea. One side is Egypt. The other side is Israel. So when you look at the whole idea of what happened and how it's happening, And we'll get more insight from the rabbi. However, when you look at America, America has been distracted and weakened. That's my term. And when I say distracted with everything going on in Washington, D.C., I look at like distracted means unable to concentrate because one mind is preoccupied. Or when I talk about we've been weakened is to make or become weaker in power resolve or physical strength with everything going on in our government bill to your point our enemies israel's enemies and everyone know 
And let it be perfectly clear from Odell's perspective, I stand with and pray for Israel. That's Odell's personal stance. I stand with Israel and I pray for Israel. Now, the solidarity piece, the unity or agreement of feelings or actions, especially among individuals with a common interest, mutual support within a group, we are there. Because much like Israel, America has skin in the game, too. So for people who say, well, this doesn't really affect me. I don't have anything to do with this. We all have skin in the game, Bill. We all have skin in the game because Israel has been going through some governmental challenges and American has been going through some governmental challenges. And like we stated on the last show, don't think our enemies are not looking at it saying, okay, is America paying attention? Is America in a position of authority to pay attention to what's going on around the world? Or is America fighting themselves? And when one fight themselves, you're not paying attention to those who want to fight and destroy us. So, Bill, what's your thoughts on that? I think there is something to be said about it because Israel was fighting against each other and, uh, I'm not sure that Hamas said, oh, this is a great time to attack because their defense is down, because this is something that had to be planned for months and months and months. Well, I think people underestimate the strength of America's economy, its people, and its military. They know it's strong, but they don't know how strong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, somebody was saying, how can we fight, help Ukraine and help Israel at the same time to defend our borders? And blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, I just think back to World War II. We fought two major, I mean, beyond this size. Right. With millions of soldiers on each side. And two continents, two other parts of the world. And we prevailed. And could we fight? Can we supply to uh, Ukraine? You betcha. Could we supply to Israel? Absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. We just sent one aircraft carrier group. I think we got seven or 12. So people are saying, well, China's acting up, you know, and they're going to invade Taiwan and, you know, and they're going to find an opening. This is a time they should do it. You know, everybody looks at something and goes, wow, you know, look, Russia, Russia, Russia. Russia's economy is smaller than Ohio. Their gross national product. So now you start looking and you go, oh, man, they're powerful. Is the state of Ohio more powerful than the country of the United States? No, even if it had nuclear weapons. It's a small country. I mean, economically, Russia is a big country geography wise. Uh But, you know, you've got a dictator that uh, is a bully and he makes it sound like he's uh, he's really bigger than he is. And it's kind of like, you know, the. don't let me have my dog come off the porch, that junkyard dog. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah. you know, the guy's walking by your front steps and calling you names and I'm blah, 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 blah. And then you step off the porch and all of a sudden he runs away. You know, and, and that's what we've been dealing with with Putin in Iran. And, you know, people are saying, hey, you know, we gave him $6 billion for a couple of uh, people that were hostages. Uh-huh. And, you know, they're going to use that $6 billion to fund Hamas. Yeah, they might. They might. You know, it's. Right now, they haven't spent a nickel of it. Right. It's still in the bank. Right. What I would do if I was Biden, I'd freeze it again. Well, I'd freeze it again. Well, Bill, you know, a lot of it is about our resolve. 
America's resolve because I'm one who believed that great societies are usually not defeated from the enemy outside his gates. Mm-hmm. It's usually defeated from implosion inside mm-hmm. where the people inside don't believe in the institutions which they serve. If you talk about the military, if you talk about the defense, if you talk about all the things that's important to us, and I'm not going to get into Senator Tabafield who talks about, you know, not doing the appointments in mass like anymore. He's holding it up because he disagree. See, that's the kind of stuff you can disagree. But when you weaken the country, that's totally different. And so without going into it, because I don't think that you and I have the right focus or right lenses to talk about what's going on in Israel as it relates to the families, because people got killed, murdered, as you stated, people got kidnapped, folks have been raped. It's been horrible. So, you know, we just welcome our next guest, Rabbi Andy, to come on. And Rabbi Andy, listen, welcome to the show. And we're going to be quiet and we're going to listen to you, sir. So um, I know that we uh, we often start off it with a moment of prayer. I actually want to turn to the 122nd Psalm with the words that come from that. As I've done when I've been on before, I do a little bit of Hebrew and a little bit of English. Uh, you, know, you can forgive me for that. It's just the... Uh, the style that we pray in. You may find those words uh, familiar. It's pray for the peace of Jerusalem and may those who love you prosper. And then the blessing that comes after it goes like this. Avinu tzur Yisrael medinat Yisrael reshit O heavenly one, protector and redeemer of Israel, we ask that you bless the state of Israel, which marks the dawning of hope for all who seek peace. Hagen aleha be'arat chasdecha, ufros aleha sukat shlomecha. We ask you, God, to shield it beneath the wings of your love and spread over it the canopy of your peace. Ushlach orcha v'amitcha l'rasheha sarea v'yotzeha, and we ask you, O oh God, to send your light and truth to those who lead and advise, guiding them with your good counsel. And God, we ask that you strengthen the hands of those who defend that land. Bring them to victory, not because we are choosing sides, but because we know that what has happened is so morally repugnant. We ask that you establish peace in the land and fullness of joy for all who dwell there, as together we say amen. Amen. Uh, so friends, uh, you know, I come very heavy-hearted today. Well, let's introduce you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, this is Rabbi Andy Korn, and um, he is in the Temple of Emmanuel. He's, he's the lead rabbi. And uh, he's also a great friend of Odell's family and my family. And we consider the rabbi family. Thank you so much, Bill. Thanks, Odell. And, uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's a reciprocal feeling to some, maybe to many of your longtime uh, listeners. Uh, I've been on the show before. Temple Emanuel here in Greensboro, North Carolina, 
uh, has been the pulpit that I've been part of for, well, this is my 21st year there. I think we've touched on Israel before. The three of us have walked the streets of Israel uh, together before and have spent time there among friends and family. But as I started to say before uh, today, I really come, you know, very heavy hearted it's within days of uh, one of the most tragic occurrences in the modern history of the Jewish people and in the state of Israel. With your permission, I'd like to just give a little background, although I think that everybody who's watched the news and who's been listening to the news lately uh, probably has an inkling of uh, what's uh, what's taking place. Uh, this past uh, Saturday, it was October the 7th of 2023, it, Saturday in Israel is the Sabbath, uh, it was the Sabbath morning, it was also a holiday weekend. And um, I should say this is that uh, that holiday is not one of the headline ones, you know, like Passover or Hanukkah or even Rosh Hashanah, or which is the New Year or the Day of Atonement, uh, Yom Kippur. This is one that we call Simchat Torah. And in the name itself, Simchat Torah means rejoicing with the Torah and congregations were gathering in Israel uh, in order to end the annual cycle of reading the Torah. We read the Torah every week uh, and kind of make our way from Genesis to Deuteronomy that way, but also beginning the Torah again from anew, you know, to begin those first chapters of the book of, of Genesis. Long story short, in the early hours in Israel, 6.30 in the morning, Israel was surprise attacked on the Sabbath and on a holiday by the uh, forces of Hamas, Hamas, a terrorist group, uh, which is the uh, leadership of the Gaza Strip. They represent uh, the, uh, the Palestinians who live in the Gaza Strip. They are the unelected uh, leaders. Uh, actually, there was an election that took place in Gaza in 2006. But in 2007, Hamas, uh, which was supposed to be in a power sharing arrangement with another Palestinian leadership group, pulled off a coup, a violent coup, and they have been ruling there ever since uh, 2007. So for the past 16 years, they are a, uh, a violent terrorist organization, but they have the governing authority. You'll hear sometimes people talking about ending occupation as if Israel is still in the Gaza Strip. Israel is not. It had held the Gaza Strip from 1967 until 2005 when Israel unilaterally disengaged from that area. There was not a Jewish person left in that area. And yet, you know, when a terrorist organization takes over a place, as we saw with ISIS, as we saw with the Taliban, they can say whatever they want to and they can spread whatever, you know, uh, I would say nowadays we would call this fake news that they want to. And uh, so they have been ruling over that area since 2007. They have uh, caused a tremendous amount of disturbances. Instead of seeing this as a gesture of peace from Israel, they immediately went on an aggressive campaign to try to uh, pull off terror attacks against Israel. They've kidnapped Israeli soldiers as well as others over the years and routinely will fire rockets into bedroom communities in Israel. In fact, there have been four operations that Israel has had to to take on in order to stop the rocket fire from the Gaza Strip, a small area on, in Israel's uh, kind of, you look at the map of Israel, it's in the southwestern part, uh, but it's not part of Israel. The Gaza Strip now is under the rule of Hamas. 
I should say this also just parenthetically, and I know I've been speaking for a while, but Hamas is, you know, it's affiliated with some of the world's worst organizations, right? Affiliated with the radicals like Al-Qaeda, like ISIS, also affiliated with Iran and funded by Iran. But this time we saw something even worse than we had ever seen before. Over 3,000 rockets were fired into Israel. And I think most Israelis were thinking, wow, this is just, you know, the next phase of what they're doing, trying to be a thorn in our side. Our missile defense system will take care of this. and Maybe it'll give everybody a chance to catch their breath. And yet what they did at the same time was to send thousands of terrorists into Israel by land, by sea, and by air. Now, Hamas does not have an air force. Uh, But what they did was they had uh, terrorists come into Israel on hang gliders uh, using trucks. They broke through the barrier, if you want to call it a border fence in between Israel and the Gaza Strip. And they also um, had attacks coming from the sea because the Mediterranean Sea borders both Israel's western coast as well as the western part of the Gaza Strip. And When they came into Israel, uh, they came into local farming communities, they came into local areas. I guess it's an understatement to say that they pulled off a massacre against civilians. The stats right now are that over 1,200 Israelis are killed, many hundreds, if not thousands more were wounded. And what they also did is they took a number of people from infants all the way up to the elderly hostage and have brought them back into the Gaza Strip. They are now threatening to kill uh, against every convention of law. They are threatening to kill every one of those hostages if Israel fires back. One other thing I should note, and I think many people have have heard this, is that uh, there was an outdoor music festival taking place, right? So imagine like a music festival here in North Carolina where people are gathering. Look, I know that at music festivals, everybody's on their best behavior, but you can also understand if someone's smoking a little wacky tobacco or if they've had a little too much to drink. And you can imagine a music festival on a very festive day, you get a bunch of uh, young, uh, you know, 20-somethings or whatever it might be, and all of a sudden terrorists come into the area. And instead of, you know, rounding them up and maybe, uh, you know, imprisoning them or whatever, I don't know what their aims were, uh, with automatic weaponry, they gunned down most of the people who were at that music festival. Over 260 Israeli Israelis were killed, Israeli civilians, Israelis who are out just to enjoy a good time. And as I said, you know, the horror is emerging. And if people have heard some of these stories in translation or maybe a reporter talking about it, I can tell you this, that I've been listening to some of these in the Hebrew original as it's being reported out on the uh, on the media. And nowadays, with everybody with a cell phone, you know, you didn't need to be someone at the music festival taking a video. The terrorists themselves took videos and they rival some of the most disgusting videos that uh, ISIS came out with during their reign of terror. Friends, all I can say is that I'm incredibly shocked by this. And whatever the usual, um, how would you say, the usual interactions that take place as you have violence that break out between Israel and uh, mostly Israel and the Palestinians now, right? There's this Arab-Israeli conflict, but Israel and other Arab nations have been working on restoring uh, relations, if not outright peace agreements. Israel was working on a peace agreement with Saudi Arabia just within the course of the past couple of weeks. 
But whatever has been out there and whatever kind of like people have been saying, oh, our side has justification and their side has justification, whatever it might be, this is a completely different reality. What we saw in Israel on that one day was the worst attack against Jewish civilians since the Holocaust. Let's say that again, right? During the Holocaust, you had something like 10,000 people who were killed at Auschwitz every day, many, many more, right? Six million total. This was over a thousand civilians, over a thousand Jewish civilians were murdered in cold blood from babies and infants all the way up through elderly, including Holocaust survivors. This is a type of cruelty and a type of behavior that ranks among the worst things that we've ever seen, and we should never compare suffering. So I know you may have some questions. I just want to caution people also, because look, Israel has an army. It has a trained army, which operates with an ethic. There are going to be reports saying, oh, terrible things that Israel is doing. Israel didn't have to do these things, right? But uh, it was poked, and it was poked, and it was provoked. This was an unprovoked attack against Israel. And what Israel and the President of the United States said it the other night, Israel has not only the right, but the responsibility to respond. And it's going to respond. And it's going to respond uh, in the way that armies do when civilians are attacked. We watched what happened after September 11th. Some have said that this is Israel's September 11th. No, it's Israel's October 7th. Mm. And uh, the only other thing that we can liken it to in recent time in Israeli history is almost it, it was 70 years plus one day since Israel was surprise attacked by the armies of Egypt and Syria on the holiest day on the Jewish calendar, the Yom, Yom Kippur. That was in 1973. We can talk about that another time if you want to. Bill? Questions for Rabbi. Well, Rabbi, thank you for the summary. That That's well said. You know, I guess I agree with everything you said. Certainly, Israel has a right to defend itself, and it should and uh, should make sure this never happens again, uh, which means the end of Hamas, as we know it, and their infrastructure. But, you know, on a humanitarian side, I have a lot of friends, the Jewish friends, and they've got family that are there. They've got family that have been called up. From a human interest standpoint, can you share some of the stories that you're hearing from your congregation and from your connections in Israel? Yeah, first off, I should say that I'm married into an Israeli family. And uh, at least for, you know, as far as we could tell after Saturday, our entire family, my, my wife's immediate family, uh, which is my family, her first cousins and my children's second cousins and, you know, all the removes and everything like that, everybody is accounted for. Right. We don't you know, this was mostly happening in the area proximate to the Gaza Strip, but also those rockets can reach to, to far, you know, to farther levels. And as best as I can tell right now, you know, we are going to have family members that are going to be called up either as reservists or they're on, you know, they're on duty right now. So just to say, you know, this is not just affecting those that are out there, but it's also affecting our family. There are many Israelis who live in the triad area of North Carolina, live throughout the state of North Carolina, and that live here in the United States, them as well as, you know, Jewish people who are not Israeli. Um, you know, have many friends and many family that are over there. Uh, you know, the degrees of separation are very, very small. 
So I'll, I can talk about one recently graduated college student from our area who is over in Israel right now. And, um, you know, the report that we got was, wow, one of our friends who had been, a, you know, like uh, attached to a group when we were traveling, just like, we, you know, when we traveled around Israel, right? You think about our tour guide. So, you know, I knew somebody and he's missing. Turns out that he just wasn't accounted for. He turned out uh, to have been in the area. He actually was hiding under a bed as the Hamas terrorists were coming into the room that he was in. He was able to wait it out. They left the room and then he was able to join the forces that were fighting against them. It was really just one of those things that you can say he got lucky on a very terrible day, right? He was spared, others weren't. And uh, many are saying, you know, that his efforts were heroic. Why? Because after being through such a horrible situation, he then went and said, listen, you know, give me what I need in order to fight. And we're hearing a number of other stories that are similar to that. I also know other people whose families uh, have been called up. Israel has done a general call up right now of uh, 300,000 reservists uh, together with its standing army, you know, again, to try to put this into numbers that America can understand. This really, these are unprecedented numbers. But remember, the margin of error in Israel is very, very, you know, there is no margin of error. And, you know, this was an intelligence, you know, intelligence mess up of the highest regard. And I'm sure that everybody's going to want to talk about like political careers in Israel and how could this happen and everything like that. But really what everybody's focused on right now is not a vengeful, uh, you know, like we're going to get our vengeance, but instead, what does Israel have to do now in order to answer what has come to it and to restore its deterrent effect that should not come? Again, my heart is breaking. My heart is breaking for the Israelis that were were killed on that day. And by the way, 14 Americans were also killed, right, who were over there, just, you know, for those of us here in the United States. Because terrorists don't don't ask for your uh, ID before, you know, they pull off a massacre, right? They didn't do it on September 11th, and they didn't do it on October the 7th. And there's going to be many, many... Yeah, civilian Palestinians that will die. Right, and and that's the thing that that's what my heart is breaking for. Also, because look, the Israeli defense forces, you know, they will put themselves in the line of fire to defend civilians. Right, they will use their power to defend civilians, and we know that Hamas and terrorists use civilians to defend their power. They use them as a human shield. Right, but they use civilians to defend their power. Shame on them. Shame on them a hundred times over because my heart breaks for those civilians. It does. And it should. And anybody with it, with any type of moral fiber in their body, right? You know, if already Israel is guilty until proven innocent, right? The, the existence of the state of Israel, if you feel that that is a crime, there's nothing more that I guess we have to talk about, Right. Israel has a right to exist. It's an accepted reality by the Middle East and by most of the world. And the only thing that fuels such attempts to try to pull things off like this is some fantasy that somehow or another Israel can be defeated uh, militarily or otherwise. And again, it's got no superpower. I mean, I, I know that those of us who are religious folks, you know, you know, God and everything like that. It's like, look, you know, at the end of the day, right, God's not playing chess with our lives. Right. This is up to us to figure out. So, Rabbi, a couple of things want to clarify for our listening audience who may not know. Israelis are 
citizens of Israel, just like Americans are citizens of America. When you use the term called up, can you explain to a lot of people who have no idea of how a male and I think a female of a certain age has to go through training and get called up? And how does that affect those who have dual citizenships? Yes. Okay. Very good question. I mean, yes, you're right. And not all Israelis are Jewish, right? There are Israeli Arabs, right? People who are from uh, Arab background, or, or, or if you want to use the, um, you know, what I, I mean, I'll let, I'll let people define themselves. They could be Israelis of Palestinian descent, Palestinian Arab descent. They can consider themselves Palestinian Arabs who just happen to have Israeli citizenship. Again, I'm going to let someone else define who they are, right? But it's the state of Israel. You know, citizenship is open to all who live there. Uh, Israel, by the way, also controls certain territories like the West Bank, although there is, you know, what's known as the Palestinian Authority, uh, which governs the affairs of many of the large city centers there. And again, that could be the conversation of a different podcast, right? I'm not going to overlook those things, but it's not what we're talking about right now. Service in the Israeli Defense Forces is compulsory. Israel does give certain, um, uh, let's call it exemptions, right, uh, from the uh, from military service. Many of the Arab communities have said we would like an exemption from military service because we do not want to be in the position where we would fight against people from other countries who have a similar, you know, uh, how would you call it, affinity to, uh, to, in other words, we don't want to, as Israeli Arabs, fight against Arabs from other countries. Okay. But again, there are other Israelis who are from Arab descent, you know, including the Druze. And that's a, again, a topic for a different conversation, right? Who serve very loyally in the Israeli army. Okay. So we've got that. But at the age of 18 or when one finishes high school, one is um, drafted into the army. Israel does have a, a compulsory service. It's very different than where America is right now. America has an all-volunteer service, uh, but in Israel, unless you have a medical exemption, there are some religious exemptions, although many religious people will do national service. And, uh, you know, again, that other nationality uh, exemption, which was, you know, which, which, you know, I guess in a conflict zone in the world makes some sense. And it's a sensitivity that Israelis have. But you have to serve. I believe that the men serve for three years. Women serve for two years. My wife is a veteran of the Israeli Air Force. Her parents are veterans. I mean, her brothers are in it. The whole family serves and does such. When you are done with your compulsory service, you then go into a reserve unit. And for men, I believe that reserve duty in one shape or form or another lasts for the, you know, well into one's 40s or 50s, depending on what unit that they're in. Because Israel is so grossly outnumbered, right? There's only 10 million citizens of Israel. And uh, because it's so grossly outnumbered by the populations of countries around it, many of whom are still hostile, like Syria, right? Iraq is not that far away. Iran is not that far away. At least Israel has a peace agreement with bordering countries of Jordan and uh, Egypt, right? But uh, Israel needs to have reserve forces that are at the ready, as we saw the other day, that are necessary, or as we saw in 1973, when Israel was surprise attacked on Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement. All right, so that's that's an expectation. As an Israeli citizen, you know, and in fact, what my wife says is that there is an adage in Hebrew that goes, listen, we all are required to serve, and yet we come as volunteers, 
right? Imagine the patriotism that says that, right? Like I'd, sometimes as an American, I wish that we would have that same idea, again, without being chauvinistic, right? But to say, you know something, our country needs us. So there, you know, there's something that's mandated and yet we're all coming as volunteers. That'd be a good slogan for, you know, uh, for any type of communal endeavor, right? We know we have to do it, but we're still going to volunteer in order to do it. And it's not out of some sort of like, you know, uh, and I know that sometimes Israel gets painted this way. By the way, I think that some of those people have to check their biases, right? Remember that in the medieval period, there was uh, one of the terrible stereotypes was what was called the blood libel, right? The Jews are only, you know, Jews somehow or another need the blood of innocent Christian children in order to, I don't know, I, you know, again, I didn't make up that conspiracy, Right. And it was something in which attacks were carried out against Jewish communities uh, at different times. Maybe if a Christian kid went went missing or something like that, and we were the ones that's you know that bore the you know the the brunt of it, right? Because you had angry people who wanted some sort of accountability and just came and killed a lot of Jewish people. Okay. However, and I'm about I'm about to just conclude here. When people say, "Well, Israel goes out and kills Palestinian children," right? As if like that's the goal? No, I mean, Israel is looking to take out the leadership of Hamas, right? We cannot be responsible that Hamas embeds itself in civilian areas. When I say we, I mean Israel can't, and Jewish people who have some sort of affinity with Israel, you know, or those who support Israel cannot say, well, you got this blood on your hands. That blood is on the hands of the terrorist leaders who do things like this. You know, two comments. One is when we were in Israel, we went to a school and that school had both Palestinians, Arabs and Jews. And uh, they talked about some of the kids talked about the first time they met a Jew or the first time they met somebody from Palestine or or the West Bank. And they both thought that the other child was going to kill each other, kill them. And then even when they started going over each other's house for uh, birthday parties, they were worried about the parents. And then eventually those barriers broke down and they started building on the friendships. And then terrorists came in and burned the classrooms and the books and the kids didn't have a place to go. And uh, Obama heard about this and invited them all to the White House. And uh, it, it stuck with me that people are trying to find common ground and people are trying to find uncommon ground and supplement it with hate. And that brings me to my next question. Why do people persecute the Jewish people? Well, listen, I wish I had the golden answer to that question, because um, I think that, you know, like those of us who have experienced uh, racism in America, we could ask the same question, right? Like those of us who have experienced anti-Semitism in America, we can ask the same question. I'm sure Ukrainians can ask the same question why Russians, uh, you know, would do the things to them that they've done to them also. Uh, that type of, of, of blind hatred uh, is something that, uh, you know, that, that, that really I would have to turn to the haters and say, you're going to have to tell me because I cannot come up for, with a justification for why you hate. Well, you know, 
And, and I, I, I maybe I've made this recommendation before, but if people have not read the book that came out about two or two and a half years ago called People Love Dead Jews, uh, it's by an author whose name is Dara Horn. And, um, you know, she's usually she usually writes fiction, but this was a nonfiction oh. book. I think that she she wrote it uh, because the questions that she was asked just so often as she was learning more about anti-Semitism and, and digging into some of those stories, that's what she was coming up with. And she just put it in a book form. I think it's one of the more important reads of the early part of the 21st century English language reads about Jewish peoplehood. And sadly, it's about that almost timeless question of why people hate the Jewish people. Yeah. And again, on the receiving end, I have been the recipient of such love over the years. Thank God, right? But also been around uh, bona fide haters. And um, frankly, it is a terrible feeling. Uh, it is a terrible reality. It can cause fear for many. I know that it does in my case. And, uh, you know, look, you know, at the risk of comparing this to things that we know kind of in America, you know, and look, as we often do, we look at things through racial lenses. I can just say that that on a different axis, this is something that we Jewish people experience and it's unacceptable. And I think your listenership probably feels exactly the same way. I agree. And, you know, and just to observe, hate is a learned trait. A baby's not brought up born hating. They had to learn that. Yeah. And you have to wonder, right? We have terrible stories from the Holocaust. One of the stories that gets told, right, is I'll spare you some of the gruesome ones, but of a um, of an apartment that they found. And in that apartment where Jewish people had been you know, taken out of that apartment and sent off to their death, right, at one of the death camps, they found baby, you know, those baby dolls that used to be made out of porcelain. Okay. And uh, they also found a piano. The baby dolls that were made out of porcelain, all of the faces were destroyed. And the piano, every piano string was cut. This was in a Jewish person's home, done by the Nazis, done by the Gestapo, done by their collaborators. How much do you have to hate Jewish people to send them off to a death camp? Bad enough. But to add insult to genocide, the amount of additional effort, I mean, you could just leave a place alone or you could knock something off of a shelf, but to go doll by doll to break every porcelain face and then to go string by string, you know, it takes a lot of effort to cut a piano string. It's as if to say, we not only hate Jews, but we hate Judaism and anything that you've ever touched or held dear. That's it. And then take, take that to Southern Israel the other day. Not this isn't occupied Palestine unless you have the idea that the existence of Israel is occupied Palestine, right? And to go to a rock concert and to gun down every person, to go into a bedroom community, a farming community, and to kill people. We have reports, and I'm sorry for those who are listening. By the way, I'll give you a chance to kind of go ahead 15 seconds right now. But we have reports of beheadings of dead people. Wow. And the level of the brutality, again, it's the type of stuff that we have not seen, right? Or that you only see in the worst type of instances. That level of hatred, right? That is not what Israelis are going to do in response to this. They're a trained army which has to keep up to an ethic. And in war, things are terrible, right? And the fog of war, as well as as a mission is being carried out, things go wrong. 
And again, I told you my heart breaks, right? Someone who did the things and the groups that did the things that they did the other day, that was outright bonafide hatred. Showing the true colors, if you will, of the Hamas terrorist organization, which happens to be the leadership of the Gaza Strip. This isn't a fringe group. This isn't some element that's gone rogue. This is the leadership, and they are the accountable address for what's taking place. And maybe I've said too much. No, no, you said plenty, and it's good stuff. Odell, why don't you close us out? And uh... Yes, and want to just ask, Rabbi, you know, on the other Early this week, you invited us all over to the synagogue and we had a service named Greensboro Solidarity with Israel Service. You talked about solidarity and you looked and said to many of us, thank you for coming. You talked about everything and the unity. Why did you call us all together and why did we come, sir? Yes. Well, listen, Odell, I got to tell you, we did not open this up the same way that we did after the massacre in Pittsburgh. We're coming up on the fifth year since that. Instead, what we did was we said to the Jewish community, we need a little bit of space. And then we knew that there were people like you and Bill and, and many others who had walked with us in Israel, right? We're not looking, you know, to set up some sort of like, you know, Duke versus Chapel Hill, you know, for those from outside of North Carolina, like that's a major sports college rivalry here in North Carolina, right? On the basketball court, right? Who are you going to root for, right? But that's not what we were asking, right? But we said to friends, look, we need to be with each other, but we also need to be with friends as we cry a little and as we um, as we mourn and as we hold hands and as we hug. And it meant the world to us that you were there because we're not asking anybody to hate Palestinians. Instead, there's some love in that the Jewish world needs, and there's loving that Israel needs. And I think Israel is also going to need understanding as it does what has been really forced upon it by, uh, you know, unprovoked by those who would, I like, I think, uh, would, are, you know, dream every moment about the eradication of Israel and Jewish sovereignty. And so that's what we did. I mean, we took an hour to say prayers, to share a few words and to really speak from both our hearts as well as, uh, you know, from our souls about what we were going through. So that's what we were asked for. The word solidarity is a very, very powerful word. And I think that Israelis in particular, Jewish people need to know that we are not alone. We are such a small minority in the Middle East. We're the only minority that has sovereignty in the Middle East. Throw that out there for what it's worth. Right? Other minorities have suffered greatly in the Middle East. It's the dirty little secret that no one talks about. And we're the only one that has sovereignty. And in, in that sovereignty, Israel has tried the best. When I say we, I mean, Jewish people are the only ones as a minority that have sovereignty. And I think that they've tried their best, right, to, uh, you know, to be good neighbors and at times have had to fight back. No one's perfect. I am not of the I am not of the, the belief that Israel can do no wrong, but I cannot it is wrong to say that Israel can do no right. And that's I think what we're going to be hearing in the course of the next five days, eight days, is some of the, you know, wow, our hearts are with you. Because again, people love dead Jews. Mm, wow. When the live ones say you can't do this for us, we know the address the real address, and we can't help that you're hiding behind children or you're hiding behind grandmothers, which is unfair, 
but Israel's coming after you. I mean, I, you know, again, I don't know what else to say because my heart wants to be so loving. And I think that people just need to take that deep breath before they pass judgment. Because October the 7th was something radically different. It was a paradigm shifter that no one asked for. Rabbi, you are a leader, and I'm a leader. Bill, you're a leader in the community. Bill, with the school board, school system. Rabbi, your community. Odell, my community. But when you lead, other families come to look to you in time of need, in time of being afraid. And one of the speakers the other night said something very important and profound that we all have skin in the game. Rabbi, how do you lead families when they know that quite possibly one of their kin folks or relative got killed and another one might have gotten kidnapped and another one might have gotten raped and another one might have got this, this, this? How do you lead and who takes care of you? <laughs> um, okay, so first and foremost, you might think differently based on how much I've talked tonight. I do a lot of listening, do a lot of listening. Yeah. And um, a lot of putting my hand over my heart and a lot of appropriate hugs, because I think that that's what people are really looking for. And, um, you know, moments that we need to either pray together or cry together, you know, that's what we do. In addition to that, uh, who do I turn to? So right now, you know, I got to tell you, I've been talking to some friends and uh, it, it helps to talk to, to friends like y'all. And, uh, you know, you know, to the extent that people are there for me, that makes a very, very big difference. So I'm not, I'm not asking for a barrage of emails or, <laughs> you know, or for, uh, you know, letters to be delivered or other things like that. I think it's just, you know, as we say, you know, to keep all of us during a very tender time to keep all of us in your prayers. And I think that that makes a tremendous difference. You know, the Greensboro Jewish community, because I think a lot of people are going to, you know, whatever happens whenever there's a tragedy, there's always fundraising off of it. And uh, the Greensboro Jewish community said, we're not fundraising off of this. This is an emergency campaign to get relief to Israel. And so if people want to know, uh, you know, a way to get funds to relief efforts in Israel, right, that aren't, it's not going to fill the pocketbooks of, you know, the people who are doing the administration and work, but instead it's going to go to the people who need it most, right? That network of social workers who are working with people on the ground who have the communal reach. You go to Shalom Greensboro, just it's all one word, shalomgreensboro.org. And, uh, you know, any amount, I think, if people are looking at least to manifest a gift, that would mean a lot. And I'm not fundraising. I mean, I get no commission off of this whatsoever. I am a donor if anything, more than I am a, uh, a recipient of anything. I mean, I don't receive anything. I get my salary from my congregation, you know, so I, I get nothing off of that. Other than to say, I know people are looking to do something and, you know, everybody's going to want to, but hey, do help, uh, you know, we do this and we do that. And the other thing, and I've got my favorite, the Jewish community is funneling its resources, right, through the what's called the Jewish Federations of North America. We have a branch of it here in Greensboro. And if you go to shalomgreensboro.org, you'll find a link there in order if you want to to do your part. And if you don't, that's okay. No judgment. 
right? <laughs> but that's, wow. you know, that's, that's one of the ways to be helpful. That is a group that helps support organizations that on the ground in Israel look to find common ground also. I got to tell you, Odell, that you don't get the hand in hand, or Bill, you don't get the hand in hand school. That's what it's called, hand in hand, like people walking hand in hand, right? Where people really start off very suspicious of one another. And as you heard, within the course of a very short period of time, you know, they become high school students like any other high school students. Hey, come on over, let's talk, whatever. You know, in fact, even maybe better than America. You don't have the this table and the that table. You have a common table. Well, Rabbi, thank you. Bill and myself will be giving donation from our business, Common Ground. But also, Rabbi, can you close us out in prayer, please? In Hebrew and then for those who don't, speak Hebrew to interpret what your prayer is. Bill, any thoughts before the rabbi closes us out, sir? My one last thought is we don't have a Roman Empire. We don't have a Roman. We don't have a Babylonian. We don't have a Greek. But we have a Jewish community that's lasted since the millennium. And there's a reason for that. And as many times people have tried to destroy Israel and the Jewish community, they failed. And there's a reason for that. And I think it's God's hand. So I'd like to bless you, Rabbi, and bless the Jewish community in Greensboro and say we're in solidarity with you. We stand with Israel and we stand with the Jewish community, Rabbi. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'll turn to the Psalms one more time. In the Hebrew original, it says, Adonai oz la'amo itain, Adonai yivarech et amo vashalom. We ask God that you give strength, give strength to our people. This is a time where there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty. Hearts are tender, hearts are broken, lives have been taken, other lives have been uprooted and destroyed. We ask God that you give strength, give strength. Adonai shalom. But at the same time, God, we ask that you bless our people and that you bless all people with shalom, with peace, with understanding. And may the day come soon when peace overshadows everything, where there is no more war or bloodshed, and where all can sit under their various trees, and none will be afraid. As together we all say, Amen. 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 Thank you. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. All rights reserved. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PNL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com.